You're listening to the Avenue Church Podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you've joined us today. Those of you that have been coming for the last few weeks, we have actually made it through the entire book of Malachi. I know some of you are like, I can't believe I missed that. So go online, you can catch up. It's only four chapters, but it's a very important book. It is the last book in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is what we call the Old Covenant. And what that is, is that is a time where, where God chose his people. He brought them up. He created a nation. He set rules for them called the law. And they were to follow the law. And if they did these things, then God would, would bless them. Well, this last book is written to a bunch of people who felt like they were doing the things they were supposed to do, but God wasn't showing up. They were disappointed. They were frustrated. They were angry. They had felt like they had served God, but God hasn't come through. And so God, being a loving father, sits down with the family and says, first of all, know that I love you. And then he begins to point out in this family meeting that they haven't been doing the things that they were supposed to do, that they were half-heartedly following the law, that they were just going through the motions. Now, what makes this book so important, first of all, it speaks to us today, many of us who have been in a situation where we felt like God has not come through, where God has failed. Now, also, it speaks because this is the last book, the last word from God for 400 years. We call it the intertestinal period between the old and the new, but many people call it the silent years. So for 400 years, there was no prophet. 400 years, there was no writings from God to tell people how to live. So this book's important because it's his last word before he sends Jesus. But I want you to think a minute. 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. What must the children of Israel thought God hasn't sent a prophet. He hadn't spoken a word. Now, many of you, maybe you're there. Maybe in your life, God has been silent for way too long. Maybe you heard God as a child, or you thought you did. And now you've lived your adult life, and you've got some adult problems, and you've gone to this God that you believed in as a child, and you've prayed to him, and he hasn't shown up. He's been silent. I know a lot of people have lost their faith and, and kind of walked away from God because he didn't come through for them like they wanted him to. They didn't keep their job. They didn't keep their relationship. Their children went off the rail. Different things, someone died. So maybe you're there today and you feel like God is silent. Well, I want you to see, first of all, during that 400 years of silence, God was still at work because God is always at work and God is at work around us all times, even when your prayers seem to hit the ceiling and come back, when he doesn't seem to answer the prayers the way you hoped that he would, God is still at work around you. And during this period of time, unless you read the history, you don't see that God is still at work. In fact, it's an interesting time because Israel is stuck right in the middle between two powerful nations. They have Egypt on one side, and then they have the Greek, what's left of the Greek nation on the other side after Alexander. And so these two are warring against each other, and Israel's kind of like the pawn in the middle. And so they're constantly at war with this side invading and this side invading until the day around 100 and something, 150 BC, that the Greeks, what was left of the Greeks, came into Jerusalem. 
And there was a man named uh, Antichus, Antichus Epiphanes. I always have to look because that name's hard for me. Antichus Epiphanes. He comes down and conquers Jerusalem and he does something that had been predicted for hundreds of years. One of the old prophets named Jeremiah said, there's going to be a day of desolation where the temple of God is going to be desecrated in such a way that is unheard of in the Jewish population. So Antichrist comes in to the nation of Israel and he wants to turn them into good Hellenistic people, Greek people. He decides that Zeus is the God that they need to worship. He marches into the temple of God and on the very altar of God, he sacrifices to Zeus a pig. Now, those of you not familiar with Jewish history, a pig is an unclean animal. It's the worst thing in the world that could have been. They couldn't even touch an unclean animal. They couldn't eat an unclean animal. And here this unclean animal is brought into the holy temple of God, laid on the altar, and sacrificed to a false god. They thought everything had fallen apart. Well, there's a priestly family by the name of Maccabee. And they led a revolt. This little nation couldn't take it anymore. This had been the ultimate insult to do that on the altar of God, to sacrifice a pig. And so they led a revolt. And believe it or not, they won. This little group of Jewish rebels turned back the army. And as they turned back the army, they wanted to rededicate the temple of God. So they decided they were going to go through an eight-day process that they rededicated the temple from this abomination. And they begin to light the lamps in the temple and realize they only had one day of oil left. And they prayed to God. And every day they had enough oil for eight days as they rededicated that temple. God was at work and did a miracle during that time, even though he was silent. And many of you today, if you know anything about Judaism, they celebrate that today. It's called the Hanukkah around December, eight days of oil. And so we see that God is at work even in the silence. And so this morning, before I get into the chapter four, our last chapter in the book, I want to point out this 400 years, God was preparing to do something incredible, something new, something no one had ever seen. He was about to send himself, it says in Philippians, that he poured himself out And he took on the form, the very nature of man, so that he could win man and bring them into his family. Now, I want you to hear this. He decided that he was going to send his son as an infant. This is the only religion in the world where God comes to man. Every other religion, man goes to God. And man strives to reach him. But God knew that we could not reach him. He had the entire old covenant to show that man will never be good enough to reach God. And so in that 400 years, he's preparing to blow their socks off. No longer is the covenant about keeping the law. The new covenant is going to be all about grace. The new covenant is while you're an enemy of God, he sent his son to die for you. The new covenant is while you can't, God can. And God can come and he can inhabit each and every one of us and we can live in his spirit. That is a new covenant. He's doing something exciting. So in silence, he's getting ready to reveal himself in a new way. I found that in my life. There are times when God is silent. It's because he's about to do something that I'd never dreamed of. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, we read about Jesus and a man named Lazarus who's a good friend of his. 
Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And anytime Jesus would come into Jerusalem with his disciples, they would stay on, uh, at Bethany, a little village just north. And they'd stay with Lazarus. And Lazarus would take care of them and feed them. And Jesus would teach. And, and they were just good, good friends. And Martha and Mary, they had seen Jesus do remarkable things. They'd seen the feeding of the 5,000. They were there. They'd heard that he'd walked on water. They saw him heal blind people. They saw him heal lame people. They saw him heal people that were sick. And they got up and they went about their business like nothing had happened. They knew Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah, the Holy One of God. And then one day, Jesus was about a day's journey away. Lazarus got sick. and says he was sick unto death. See, but Martha and Mary knew Jesus. And so Martha and Mary sent some people and said, go, quick, get Jesus. Because we know that Jesus can heal him. We know that Jesus loves him. We know that as soon as Jesus is here, he'll get up from that bed and he'll walk and he'll be fine. Go get Jesus. And the disciple writes that they came and said, your friend Lazarus is sick unto death. They've called for you. They need you. It says Jesus waited. For three days, he waited before he even began the journey. So the, by the time he began the journey, Lazarus was dead. In fact, by the time he got to Bethany, he'd been dead for three days. They'd had the funeral. They'd rolled the stone over the tomb. And so when Martha and Mary saw Jesus coming, they were devastated. They ran to him and said, Lord, if you were here, he'd have been saved. If he, you were here, God, we know that you can heal people. We know that you can feed. We know that you can do miracles. We know that you can walk on water. If you'd have just shown up, our brother would be alive and we'd be celebrating today. But you didn't come. He was silent. And it says he even wept with him at that moment. But you see, Jesus knew something they didn't. Jesus was about to show them something that they didn't understand. Jesus was about to reveal himself as more than a healer, as more than a man that did miracles. He was about to reveal himself. And so he walks to the tomb and they think that he's just mourning the loss of his friend. And he tells his disciples, roll the stone away. And everybody thinks he's crazy because after three days, it's like company. It stinks. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, he's been gone. You, what are you doing? See, but Jesus was about to reveal something that they had no comprehension of. He was about to do something that they'd never seen. So they rolled that stone away. And so everybody would know it was him. He said, Lazarus, come forth. There was a rustle. And then the man comes out in his death wrap stumbling out of that grave. Can you imagine being the people there? I wouldn't have been there. As soon as he walked out, I'd have been two miles away running. But Jesus said, go unwrap him. They unwrapped him and he saw that he was as good as new and he'd come back from the dead. He wasn't healed because Jesus said, I want you to know I'm more than a healer. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will never die. They didn't know that. 
that silence, that pain that they went through waiting for their Savior to show up, those four to five days that he did not come, he was about to teach them something. He was about to show them they could have eternal life. They didn't understand that. So in your silence today, hang on. Something's coming. Something greater. Something more. He's going to reveal himself to you in ways that you never expected. And this is what's happening as we go back to chapter 4 in Malachi. The end of chapter 3, he's telling the people who said, we've been serving you for nothing. We've been serving you, but we're not blessed. The wicked are blessed. The wicked make fun of you, God. The wicked, you know, thumb their nose at you, God. And they're blessed. They're rich. They're doing fine. We're serving you and we're starving to death, God. What's the point? God begins to speak and says, a day is coming. A day is coming. And the righteous are going to be my treasure. So hang on. He goes on and says, surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. The day is coming. will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But if you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under your feet. Remember, I will send a prophet, Elijah, to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And I want to pause there for a minute. It's a great day for the righteous. It's a dreadful day for the unrighteous. I see a lot of Christians that say they can't wait for that day. I can wait. I can wait. Because I'm afraid there are people that I care about and people that I know that are going to be on the side of judgment, not the side of mercy. And so when he says it's a dreadful day, it is a dreadful day. And until that day comes, we need to do everything we can as the Avenue Church to pull people over that line of faith. That's what today is about for me in this room, in the Ennis campus online. I want you to see this God in action. And though we may be silent, and though you may not hear from him, and though you may not feel like he has been there for you, he is there and something is coming. A great day for you at one of these times. So if you're disillusioned with God, if you're disappointed, even if you're angry, know that he's a loving father. And this period of silence that you begin to doubt God, this period that you've tried to serve him, but it hasn't amounted to anything, just remember, it's not over. God laid out his plan from the very beginning. And I want to walk you through this Old Testament, this Old Covenant, just real quickly so you can see God has always had a plan. In fact, when the first man and woman, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned, God knew it was coming. Before the foundation of the world, he knew it was coming. And the question asked me is, why did he create us? Because he not only knew the beginning, he knew the end. And so he understood what the family of God was going to be one day. And so Adam and Eve rebelled against him. He could have turned his back, but he didn't. In the third chapter, he begins to outline his plan. He says in the third chapter of Genesis 15, he's looking as Satan and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head while you strike his heel. 
You see, Satan on the day that Jesus hung on the cross struck the hill of Jesus. But on the third day when Jesus came back to life, he crushed Satan. He crushed him. He crushed sin. He crushed death. He crushed the grave. And although he went through that, and even though he went through the torture, he went through the pain, he went through the death on the cross, he crushed sin. As far back in Genesis, he says, this is what's going to happen. And then a man named Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, he says, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. The vir- How many virgins you know gave birth to sons? 700 years before, he says, hey, here's a sign coming. God's at work. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. In Micah, another one of the prophets Micah says, and this is where he's going to be born. But you, Bethlehem, God is setting it up. He is showing us. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler of the king of Israel, the people of God whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So he knows a child born of a virgin is going to be born in the small insignificant town of Bethlehem. Isaiah goes on and says, this Jesus is going to be a miracle worker. He says, when he comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will sound for joy. We know that Jesus performed dozens and dozens and dozens of miracles when he walked on this earth. We know the lame walk, the blind see. We know the mute could speak. We know that he went water skiing without a boat. We know that he fed 5,000 people with a lunchable. We know all of these incredible things that Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle that was foretold 700 years before he was born because God had a plan. Even in his silence, something better was coming. And he wanted him to hold on to it. Now there's one passage that Isaiah wrote. And for those of you that are skeptics, for those of you that still question, is Jesus truly the Son of God? Is Jesus truly the Word made flesh? I want to read this passage. This is found in Isaiah chapter 53. Once again, 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, the title of this passage is The Suffering Servant. Now remember, the children of Israel expected the Messiah to be a reigning Messiah that was king of Israel the way they understood the king. But God led Isaiah to write these words. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He will grow up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Jesus was beaten to the point of being unrecognizable. As he walked that hill to Calvary, people would turn their heads. 
because of the way he looked. The Bible tells us that cursed is the man that hangs from a tree. So when they saw him nailed to the cross, God had forsaken him. God despised him. He was scorned. He was afflicted by God. But he was placed there. He was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Those of you not familiar with the story, he was brought before the Sanhedrin, the rulers of Israel. He was brought before Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome. He was taken to King Herod, who was the king of Jerusalem and Judea. And he kept quiet. Pilate said, why are you not defending yourself? Because 700 years before, Isaiah said he'd be silent as a sheep going to the shear. He doesn't open his mouth. He was pierced for our transgressions. Our sin was laid on him. The Lord chose to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, his offspring will prosper. After he suffers, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. I want you to hear this verse. He says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was cut off from the land of living. So this suffering servant was killed and he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Anyone who was crucified they took the body down and they throwed him in a common grave. But you see, in this story, Jesus was on the cross. He was assigned that grave with the wicked. But Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate and said, listen, I'd like to have his body. I have a brand new tomb for my family. He was wealthy. 700 years before Jesus was born, the sin of many, he made intercession. How much more do you have to hear? How much more do you have to see to know that Jesus is the son of God? And even though God may be silent, he has a plan for you, this new covenant. One more thing out of Malachi, because you need to see this. How do we know Jesus is the one? No one could have done all of these prophecies, but this is the eye opener for me. This is the one that grabs me. And I know there can be no other Messiah. In Malachi, he says, I'm going to send my messenger, John the Baptist, he will prepare the way before me, God in the flesh. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. Jesus appeared in that temple. Jesus cast out the money changers in that temple. Jesus stood among the Jews in that temple, the Lord they'd been waiting for. And that happened around 30 to 35 AD, somewhere in there. Do you know what happened to the temple? It got destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 AD. 
The Jews rebelled against the Roman Empire. Rome came down with their troops, surrounded Jerusalem for three years, broke down the wall, and decided that the temple was causing them too much trouble. And so they took down every stone and they cast it into the valley. And when we go to Israel today, all we see is the outside wall of the wall, the fence around it. You don't see the temple. The temple's gone. Well, it's going to be built back, right? Nope. Don't think so. You talk about a world war. There are two Muslim shrines up there on that hill. The temple's no longer needed. It's done its job. It pointed us to the Savior. It pointed us to Jesus. It pointed us to a covenant that we don't need to go and sacrifice for sin. We've had one sacrifice for all our sins. We don't need to go to the temple to find the presence of God because the Spirit of God is available to every one of us with the asking of Jesus to come into our heart because God wanted a new covenant. He wanted a covenant of mercy. He didn't want you to show up for church on the weekend. He wanted you to walk with him daily. He has a new covenant. A covenant where he will never leave us. A covenant where he will never forsake us. You have a God that knows you and wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. He forgives you. He pursues you. He seeks you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. And he will never let you go. Now, he may be silent, but he's at work. He's at work right now. In some of your lives, he's at work right now. The last passage is so important. It says, he will turn the father's heart to their children. Do you know how important that is? Do you know that's one of the reasons we've built this church? For the father to find a place where he can meet God and bring his children? I want to challenge some of you. Some of you understand you've got your doubts. I understand that you're not sure about this God thing. But if you have children today, fathers, bring them into this place. Because they need that foundation. And maybe they don't accept God one day. And maybe you never believe in God. But let me tell you, we're going to teach them to love one another. We're going to teach them to love others. We're going to teach them to be kind. There's a foundation that we'll build for them. Whether they accept Christ or not, they're going to be better people. So don't let your doubts and don't let your anger toward God steal a foundation from your children. Turn your heart toward your children and be humble enough to lead out and bring them in. I'm talking about leading in them, not being drugged to church by your wife. Men are called to lead, not to follow. And that doesn't take anything away. Wives keep dragging the men until they become a man. I'm sorry you married a boy. But maybe he'll grow up when he hears how important it is for the hearts of the father to be turned toward the children. And then here's my favorite part because I'm a granddad. The hearts of the children will be turned to the Father. Nothing greater. I've been blessed to be a dad five times. I've been overly blessed as a grandfather. God is working right now. He's working with some of you. Some of you in Ennis. I hope today the Spirit has gone out and spoken to your heart in a way maybe that he hadn't spoken before. And so what we're going to do right now, if you're online, stay with me. In us, stay with me here in the room. I'm going to go old school on you. Many of you know I've got Baptist roots, right? I'm an old Baptist preacher. So we're going to go old Baptist. If you're assembly, you'll fit right in. 
If you're Catholic, it's going to be a little strange. I'll let you know up front. But after only 25 minutes of laying this out, the Spirit of God can change you for eternity. Not by my words, but by His power. So I want to give you that opportunity to cross that line of faith. Will you close your eyes, bow your head? Nothing special about that. Just put you in the mind to listen. If you'd say today, I'm ready to believe. God, I've been angry at you. You've been silent, but I'm ready to believe. I want you to pray this prayer. Just in your heart, speak to God. He hears. God, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for my sin, for hurting others, for hurting myself. God, I believe that you sent your son. I believe that he died on a cross. I believe that he forgives me for my sin. I believe that he came back to life. And God, as much as I can, I want to give my entire life to you today. Change me for eternity, Father. Turn my heart toward my family. Turn my heart toward the family of God. In Jesus' name. Now, here's the old school part. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed. The buses will wait. No, I'm just kidding about that. If you prayed that prayer in this room and you felt like this is the first time you've prayed that prayer and understood it, would you just lift your hand? And in this, the same thing. Thank you all over the yes. If you're online, and this next step I want you to take is I want you to join a prayer room or if that option is not available on the format you're following, I want you to go to avenuechurch.com and I want you to push the prayer button. Now, those of you that have joined us in the room, maybe you've prayed this prayer a hundred times and it never seems to work. I want to add something to it today to help you get off that stuck pattern of praying the prayer and praying the prayer and praying the prayer. I want today to be the day that you nail it down and you know that you're part of the family of God. I have pastors, elders, and some deacons, some people coming forward to stand at the front of the church just like the pastor used to do in days of old. And if you prayed that prayer and you want help nailing it down, I'm going to ask you to come and pray with them. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.